Happy Thanksgiving, dear listeners and dear readers. I'm thankful for my wonderful sponsors over at Book of the Month. Thanks to them, we get to bring you a discount. As we enter the holiday season, this is the perfect time to start your Book of the Month subscription. As a Book of the Month member, I love getting that blue box of books each month filled with my selections. Sometimes I get a thriller, sometimes I get a romance, historical fiction, memoirs, classics, you name it. Book of the Month has a book just for you, and it's delivered right to your door. Now back to the discount. Since it's the season of giving, there's no better gift than a subscription to the Book of the Month. You can head to bookofthemonth.com and use code ADRI, A-D-R-I, at your checkout to get your very first book for $9.99. That's A-D-R-I at checkout. Thank you, Book of the Month. Around the globe, everyone loves Mitch Album. He's the beloved author of the best-selling memoir of all time, Tuesdays with Maury, as well as other fabulous books, Finding Chica, Human Touch, The Stranger in the Lifeboat. He has sold more than 40 million copies in 48 languages around the world, and he has written eight number one New York Times bestsellers. He appeared on ESPN for over 20 years and was a fixture of the sports reporters. Listen, I could go on and on about my friend Mitch Album. With all of his massive success, he has found a deeper and higher purpose, and he serves. I was transfixed by his latest, The Little Liar. I've never read about Greece during World War II, and Mitch artfully takes us on a journey of discovering the truth. This is a World War II story. The character Nico is one for the ages. You will immerse yourself in this modern classic and feel. First of all, it's great to see you again. And thank you. Uh, thank you for your kind words. Congratulations on the podcast and your ever-expanding kingdom. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, yes, this was a book. So, you know, I was, I'm, I'm Jewish. I was raised Jewish. Uh, and although I move in a lot of circles uh, that are uh, Christian and, and otherwise, uh, and I operate an orphanage in Haiti that's a Christian uh, mission and, and, and things like that, I've, I've always felt a connection to my Jewish roots. And I think most Jewish writers, at least fiction writers, probably figure that at some point in their life, um, they have a bit of an obligation, at least I did, to create a, a Holocaust story if for no other reason, just to continue to ensure that people don't forget that it took place. And we find ourselves at the 80th anniversary of the events that I wrote about in that book. It's, the, it's 80 years since the Nazis went into Salonika, Greece, which most people don't realize was the uh, only city in all of Europe that had a majority Jewish population. Uh, so it really, in some ways, was the most Jewish city in the entire continent of Europe and, 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 and everything it encompassed. And they came in and destroyed it and, and, and virtually wiped it out. And so I, I'd always been looking, uh, Adriana, for, a, for a, uh, you know, a story that I could set during the Holocaust that felt original. 
the problem was that there are so many books that have already been written about the Holocaust that, mm -hmm. that, that you know, it's the tattooist of Auschwitz, the librarian of Auschwitz, the places, everybody. I didn't want to do something. I know, and they're one, wonderful books. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's, it's like that square was taken, that square was taken, that square was taken. So it took me years to try to find a story that I thought, well, at least this would be an original contribution. And I finally, uh, a number of years ago, I had gone to a museum and, and uh, I had seen on the screens, it was Yad Vashem over in, in Israel, and I had seen on the screens people recounting personal histories in the Holocaust. And this one woman talked about how when they got on the trains to go to the concentration camps, the Nazis had hired or not hired, had forced these Jew Jewish people to lie to them and tell them everything's going to be fine. These trains are going to take you to jobs and everything. Get on, get on, get on. And I thought, what an awful thing, you know, to use your own people against you. And the last sort of face that you see uh, before you go off to your death is one of your own lying to you. And it yeah, always stayed yeah. in my head. And so that became the germ of, of um, The Little Liar. And then when I decided to do it with children, because there's nothing more tragic, I think, than destroying innocence of a child before before the world does it naturally. You know, as it is, right, if we right. leave our children alone by 18, they're pretty much shot. They you know, beat up. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's so true. Uh, that's but, so true. But, but to take it away from an 11-year-old, as I do in the book, uh, that's tragic. And so I thought, okay, I've got something here that at least I haven't read before. Um, I never read it before. Yeah, and Nico yeah. is such an original yeah. because yeah. Nico is on a mission. Yeah. Really is. He's the eleven-year-old boy who never never tells a lie in his life. Uh, you know, he's in his little neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He's known as uh, they call him Snow. You know, the word for Snowtioni in in Greek because he's so pure. He's never told a lie. And the Nazis, when they invade, they find out about him and they use him uh, on the train platforms. And he doesn't know he's being used. And they tell him, you know, just tell everybody who's on the train platforms that they're going to jobs and there's going to be new homes and they're going to be resettled. And if you just do this for, you know, a few more weeks, then you can go back with your family. And he believes it. He thinks he can't understand why the people are unhappy on the train platform because they're all going to get to go to new jobs. And then, of course, on the very last train uh, out of Salonika, he sees that his family is being put on the train. He spots them and he realizes uh, that he's been tricked and that he's been lying all this time. And, and what makes it worse is that his family's put on the train and the Nazi who tricked him pulls him away at the last minute, says, no, you're not going, you stay here. He thinks he's doing him a favor by saving his life, you know, doing it, you know, well, the kid worked for me, so I won't, I won't have him sent off to the concentration camp. But what he does is separate him from his family and leave him alone with the weight of this guilt of that he has lied to everyone he has known and loved without realizing it and has inadvertently sent them off to their doom. And it's what happens to him from that point forward. And, and that's, it's really becomes a book about truth and lying and the consequences yeah. we pay for, for the deceptions that we make. When you were a little boy, what's the first book you remember reading? Uh, well, I remember the Sally, Dick, and Jane books because they made us read those. Um, and I doubt it was the first book, but I know that it was 
it played an integral part in my life was the Curious George books, because I remember that they were yellow and they had a monkey. And, uh, and he was always in trouble. Were you always in trouble? No, no, but I wanted to be. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted to get into the trouble that Curious George got into. I just was too good a kid. But I'll tell you a funny story about um, Curious George and books as a kid. Okay, um, okay. So my mother would take me to the library every Saturday morning in this little town where I grew up in, in South Jersey. And uh, we had this little kind of one-room library, and uh, she dropped me off there at, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and she'd come back for me a couple hours later, and she said, you can take out one book, and meanwhile, read the books that are in the library. And those are the days where you could drop off your kids and not worry about them for a right, couple of hours. that's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was, now at this point, I was a little older, probably seven or eight, and I was really into submarines. And so... Um, I was wandering through the stacks of books and I saw 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and it had a submarine on the cover and on the binding. And so I thought, wow, this is a book about a submarine. So I, I pulled it off the shelf and I went up to the librarian and I said, I want to take this out. Now, I'm not a very tall person at this age, so I can only imagine how, <laughs> how small I was then and with my shoes untied or whatever. And she took one look at me and she said, you can't read this book. This is too hard for you. Go into the children's section and go pick out a book. So, all right, you know, as a kid, I just did as I was told. And I went and I got Curious George, a book that I had read many a times before. But I knew, okay, this is safe and she won't get mad at me for this. So I gave her Curious George and she checked it out. So, you know, I go down the steps. My mother pulls up in the car, station wagon, you know. And I get in and we start driving away and she looks over, she sees the Curious George book and she says, haven't you read that book five times already? And I said, yeah, but the librarian wouldn't let me take the book out that I wanted to take out. And she said, well, why not? And I said, because she said it was too hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my, my head like hit the dashboard, you know, and she slams, she backs the car up, pulls back, grabs me by the arm, marches me into the library and goes up to the to front desk. And she says, did you tell my son a book was too hard for him to read? And the librarian's like, blah, 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 blah. And, and she goes, never tell a child that a book is too hard for them to read. And never this child, you know, and, and, and the librarian's going, blah, blah, blah. and my mother says, where's the book? Where's the book? And it was like there on the counter. And, and, and she takes my mom grabs it. I, I don't think we even checked it out. I think we stole it. And we, you know, we went back in the car and, and, and drove home. And of course, when I sat down with the book to read it, it was way too hard for me to read. <laughs> but uh, I read it, you know, like I stuck with and I stuck with you it. You made yourself Jules Verne, 20,000 leagues. That's yeah. right. Because mm -hmm. uh, I saw. And I always tell people that I realized how important reading and writing was that day because my mother was ready to deck a librarian over that's, this that's, fact. That's, that's actually somehow, hilarious. Yeah. Somehow that got into my DNA and I became like a reader, you know, a dedicated reader that day. There's a big lesson in there that your mother taught you, which is don't let somebody else define you that's right. and your abilities. And that's a thread in your work. And everything yeah. you do is about you've got to find why you're here. Right. And then you got to figure out what your purpose is. That's what I love about you because you are always it, – it's never about do it this way. But what are your gifts? And your characters 
always feed into that theme that they're in control of their destiny somehow and um, and that they have an obligation and a duty to the world. Where do you think that came from in your upbringing? Well, I mean, I was raised with the idea that you're supposed to help other people in the world. That, that wasn't alien to my family or my community. Um, you know, I remember... But you're, but you're a man that could do anything you want with your life, and you're in Haiti every chance you get taking care of those kids. And we all, we all marvel at it, and we want to... You, you walk the walk. It's like these, these refugees that we have in this country that we are not taking care of at the border. And that goes right to the heart of your passion are these kids that are, that are you know, in an orphanage that they, they, they don't yeah. have parents, they don't they, have families. They can't get to the border. I, I wish I could get no. them to the border. If I got them to the border, yeah. they could walk over and then I could take care of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, Haiti and the kids in the orphanage that I operate there, I mean, that's, it's like a lot of things that have happened in my life. I, it just sort of got put in front of me. And I, I don't, I mean, it's kind of you, Adriana, to s- say the things that you do. But but honestly, I, I think if I'm being really honest about my charity work, and it's mostly been, if I have any gift about it, is that I can't walk away from it when it's put in front of me. Mm. And, um, and so mm-hmm. it's more like, I mean, look at Maury, Tuesdays with Maury. Everyone, yeah. I get all these accolades from people about, wow, what you did with your old professor was so kind. And I said, well, listen, I, I spent 16 years not contacting him. You know, I don't deserve that kind of praise. I, if I had really been the great student and the great, you know, that you're all, uh, you know, crediting me for, I would have stayed in touch with them from the time I graduated. I wouldn't have been so selfish with my life and just, you know, been worried about my career and how far I could get and things like that. And only when it was put in front of me with the nightline program. And suddenly I Mm -hmm, see, mm -hmm. I see this old professor of mine who's dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. I haven't seen him in 16 years. And I find out about it because I'm watching the nightline program. And then I felt like I needed to do something about it in Haiti. I, I, I honestly couldn't have found Haiti on a map most likely before 2010. And then I went down there after the earthquake and uh, ended up at an orphanage uh, and, and fell in love with the kids and saw the dire conditions that they were in and just started coming back and coming back and took it over a few months later. I've been there ever since every month. But I didn't go down there before the earthquake, you know, and say, I'm going to charge in here and just try to make a difference. So the pattern that I've seemed to notice in my life is that problems get put in front of me. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, maybe God just decides, you know, let's put this in his path and let's, let's now let's watch. See, let's see how he does with that one. And um, and then I guess my only gift is that I don't ignore them. You know, I, I think about them and I, I don't I can't walk away from it. So I couldn't just turn the TV off with Maury. I had to call him. And then when I went to visit him and he asked me to come see him again, I could not do that. And one thing led to another. And it's the same sort of thing with Haiti. And each part of your life that, you know, each each of these events that that are or or these dilemmas that are placed in front of you, each of them, I I believe as I read you, um, makes you a more direct storyteller. More, uh, I just I marvel at your your level of craft because it's um, I I didn't want to put the books down. The characters are very layered and into each other, and there's three kids. 
and they're, each of their paths is so you 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 really um, you took that war and you made it very personal, and and here's here's the thing, Mitch. That I mean, we could talk about this forever. That that history repeats itself if we don't do something about it, if we yeah. don't acknowledge it, and and this story I think is going to go a very long way with readers. I hope and so. When they when they when they stand back from our culture now, I hope so. And look at the the truth and the lack of truth. Yeah, you know. I listen, I try to learn something every time someone talks to me about my, about my work because I think, you know, people from the outside can, can see things in your work that you can't. Right. Um, and so I'm listening to what you're saying. And I, I think one of the reasons I did what I did with this book, with The Little Liar, using children, is actually something that I've just sort of realized while you're saying that. It's something that I do with my work is to, is to contrast something huge with something simple. So the evil of the Nazis and what happened in World War II is almost incomprehensible. It's yeah, almost something that it's it. almost so big that, yeah, you can't get your head around it. On the other hand, children... And being that age, 11, 12, 13, we all kind of go through that thing where there's two brothers and a girl who the older brother likes the girl, the girl yep. likes the younger brother, you know, which is a, which is a story we've seen many times. Classic, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's something that everybody can relate to. And, you know, it was the same thing like with the five people you meet in heaven. Heaven is such this unbelievable concept and so vast, but I created a, a, you know, a maintenance man at an amusement park a guy that, you know, you kind of see every day somewhere at some place at some work uh, that you, you're at mm -hmm. to sort of, again, contrast the two. And I find that contrasting simple characters against these um, huge, uh, you know, mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. in life are uh, it, it works for me. You know, it, it enables me to tell, as you say, sort of a, a, a straight line story because I stay with the simplicity, but I keep the backdrop of the. But there, it's the, complicated. You know, the, the landscape, the landscape is almost unsolvable in your books. You you don't think that um, we can make sense of something, and then these characters make sense of it for us. It's it's really um, as a reader, I fall into it because truth in this is a character. Yeah, it's character in this book, and I thought, oh, how brilliant is that? You know, well, I'm a huge fan of yours, but I, I, I'm going to tell you, you, you come at storytelling in a wholly original way that is, um, and, and as, as I was reading this, it dramatizes itself. You, the feelings that, that Nico has are, when, when he finds out what he's done, I mean, I had to stop reading. I mean, I, there's points in your books I always kind of go down for the count. I just have to like close the book, sob, and then go back in. But that uh -huh. really got me because I felt like for anybody who feels disenfranchised, om omitted, misunderstood, and unheard, wow, just this novel. Yeah. Well, when you're writing, you know, I spend a lot of time with children, um, and I like it. You know, I find as I get older, yeah. children make much more sense to me. Adults, <laughs> adults are – I don't understand them at all, but children uh -huh. I get – and, you know, I, I, I'm kind of leading my life a little backwards. Like we did not have, my wife and I didn't have children of our own. And for many years, our early years, we, we didn't have kids. We had a lot of nieces and nephews, but we, you know, we did a lot of traveling, a lot of moving around, you know, even during our 30s and our 40s. 
And then in my 50s, I started all these children from an orphanage. And then we had Chica who became, you know, we adopted. Uh, you Chica, know, we who's were, your daughter. Yeah. yeah in Absolutely. our late 50s. Who, 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 and then and now we've got three children living with us full time here right now. And it just keeps getting, <laughs> it keeps growing. I get older and there's more and more kids around. Um, but I, 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 I found that, you know, observing kids and watching how they deal with the same complex things that we do, but in their particular way. So the moment that you were talking about, for example, in, in The Little Liar, when Nico finds out that he has lied to all these people and may have inadvertently contributed to them being taken away to oh. their deaths. And then the train leaves and he's left on the tracks and the Nazi oh. officer has gotten on the train. And all can you imagine like he's all alone, all alone in the world now by himself on those train tracks and everybody he knows has been taken off someplace. And what does he do? Well, what would a kid do? He jumps onto the tracks and he starts running. And he starts running after the train. It, he doesn't think you can't catch a train. That's not how a child thinks. You know, a child he just says, knows he has to get there. My, yep. my mommy and daddy are on that train. My I whole have life, to run. My if, whole life is. If I lose sight of that disappearing thing, I lose my connection to everything that I, you know, know and want. And so he just keeps running and he runs and he runs until his feet are bleeding, you know, and, and that's how a child will react. And I think those kind of moments that you, create, you know, mm -hmm. when you say they get to you, you know, well, they get to all of us. They get to me when I write it because inside all of us is that child who would have done the same, same thing. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've drawn this parallel yet, because of course I do, because I can stand back from the, from the art, the orphanage in Haiti and the boy alone, I thought how much of that Haiti experience informed this, even though it was it, it was really about um, your history as a Jew. But when you look back and you look at it's what instigates these stories or what brings these stories around, it it was really palpable to me that you and Janine spend all this time. You had your Chica, you had your daughter, you have all these kids that come through, you educate them. You, it's very important for you, and I don't, and I want you to tell me if this is really important, is you understand security, how important that is to a child, the sense of security. Um, and you'll do anything to give them that, anything. Yeah, uh, well, you're very astute, as always. And um, that, I would say, my experience with the kids in Haiti and, and, and dealing with orphans now for 14 years probably played a bigger part in my being able to write this book the, from the way that I did it oh. than even my Jewish connections and things like that. Because after you set the backdrop of the Holocaust and Nazis and Hitler and all that, then you get into the characters, which is much more the deeper part of writing a book. You know, security, for example, when we, if you were to come visit our orphanage, the first thing that the kids would do after they run up and grab you and hug you is ask you, how long are you going to stay? It's always the first question. How long are you staying? How long are you staying? Even before they know your name. And the reason they do this is because abandonment is the biggest issue for them. And, and adults have, you know, remember, no one is at an orphanage who wasn't at least given up on once in their life, if not more than once, you know, that's how they got to the orphanage. Somebody dropped them off or gave them away or whatever it was, or their parents died or whatever, but they were left, they were left alone. And so they asked that question, how long are you going to stay? 
because they kind of measure yeah. how much love to give out. And if you say, well, I'm only here for the day, they will be different with you than if you say, oh, I'm here for six months. You know, I'm going to be here till Christmas. They'll be totally different. They'll, they'll start, they'll be on your lap. They'll be all over you because they'll think, okay, I can trust this person. They're going to be here for a while. So there are many moments in The Little Liar where the kids have to face abandonment. You know, the yes. little girl named Fanny witnesses her father Love killed by, by Nazis, right? It, just as she's about to call his name out and, and he gets shot. And now she has to navigate a world without any parents in it. And Sebastian, the older brother of Nico, he's in the concentration camp with his family yes, and slowly yes. witnesses them one at a time sort of be losing them. And he loses, he has this huge Greek family and one by one from his little sisters to his mother, to his grandparents, to his uncle, to his aunt, to his father, to his grandfather, um, they get gone away and plucked away. And how does a child, you know, a teenager, deal with this and it's by virtue of having been amongst children who have had to deal with losing everything that they've had um and being able to witness it experience it and 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 feel it that i think i was able to try to you know put it into the characters in this book there hasn't been a book i feel you know we're taught the diary of Anne frank which is a classic and what an incredible story but as when I finished this book, Mitch, I, I said to myself, this needs to be in every school in America. Because even, even the uh, uh, Fanny story, how many children witness violence? I, there, it is such a, um, a mirror of, of if, if you chose any country in the world right now, the social issues are in this book all leading to abandonment, all leading to fractured families, all leading to loneliness and desperation, usually poverty, just that sense of I have no place to go. I thought of runaway children. I thought of, of refugees, of every strata of society. But, but Fanny's story in particular, is she, it's made manifest to her. She sees it. It isn't an imaginary place, whereas Nico has the burden of the guilt. He, he doesn't see it yet. It's going to come. But you, it's so masterful. But I felt like it's, a, it's an accessible story that we could start teaching age 11, age 12. Like, like except it's an adult novel. I get it. I get it. But... Um, well, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it's an adult novel. I... I you, you know, you, I, are you are you with me that you get what I'm saying here? Yeah, about and I, I thought okay, about okay. that a lot about, you know, because sometimes you can include, listen, once you're in the Holocaust, you, there's all level of, 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 of terrible behavior that you could include in a book. But as I was writing it, I started to think, you know, teenagers, 11 year old, 12 year olds could read this book. They, they uh, could, oh, absolutely. So, so let's not put in the rape scene that 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 that, that mm -hmm. bounces it from schools or bounces it from that thing because they just shouldn't have to witness something like that. I mean, look, it's all killing and shooting and murder. It's all terrible. But the truth is, in our country, for better or for worse, by the time kids are thirteen or fourteen or fifteen, they've watched so many movies and things like They're that. They're anesthetized. That I was going to tell you, they just turn on Netflix and you'll see all manner of uh, debauchery. Right. You know, you know. But I, I, mean? I kind of, even 
even curses, you know, like there's no, there's no words in there that in this book as terrible as the time that it portends of that, it, that it represents. Um, I deliberately sort of said, well, I'm not just going to gratuitously throw in curse words because again, I wanted kids to be able to read this book because so much of it is about that period of time when, you know, they're 11 and 12 and, and then the book follows them after the war and, and, and it takes them up to when they're in their 50s. But I don't, I don't know that I would look at it as an adult uh, book. You know, I think of the, uh, the book theme. Well, it has huge philosophical concepts that yes. adults can, can really engage in. Right. Because uh, you haven't read this before, ever. And um, so I think it can be, of course. But I know that I am going to, we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to use it in the origin project because I feel the kids 11, 12 and up, uh, I mean, this is, this is like an instant classic to me because of the relationships in the book and because the way uh, of the way the characters express themselves. Now your bigger artistic, your truth as the voice and all of that, the kids get that though. They get those devices. They really do. It's not beyond them. And I'm with you. I think they've seen and they've heard and they know. Well, I hope that truth concept, uh, that to me is sort of if someone said, well, what's the, what's the, you know, sum up the book in one sentence kind of thing besides just the plot. Ultimately, it's, it's a book about the value, the precious value of truth and how when truth is warped, anything is possible and the worst of us can happen. And the worst of, of, of us can 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 take place and we can witness it. Mm-hmm. And, and from the lies, I mean, there's the lies that Nico was tricked into telling. And then what happens to him, I'm not going to reveal the whole book, obviously, but, but what happens, he loses the ability to speak the truth. After being a kid who never told a lie his whole life, once he realizes what he did, the, the shock of it is so great that he becomes a pathological liar. And it's actually his ability to be a pathological liar that allows him to survive the war and to actually thrive and become hugely successful after it. And meanwhile, his brother, who was convinced that his his this younger brother, Nico, was lying on purpose somehow, he spends mm-hmm. his whole life trying to chase him down to make him pay pay the price for what he did. And Fanny, the girl in between the two of them, um, ends up having her life saved by him at one point and spends her life trying to find him saying it can't it can't be what it seems it can't be what it seems there has to be more to it he wouldn't have just lied like that for his own purposes why did he do it and and ends up you know finding him later on in life and the whole thing about truth and and lies and that's why the book is narrated by truth by truth the, yeah. you know from the voice of truth narrates the whole thing and tells a lot of little parables which I, I really enjoyed researching and finding and creating. I loved those. You know, mm-hmm. but, but truth talks about me. I, I, you know, you can't handle me. You don't want me. You break me. You break my heart. You know, when, when truth witnesses him telling this lie for the first time, it says, you know, I wept like a, like a child, you know, because my precious Nico, who'd never told a lie, just had himself ruined, you know, by this by this evil guy. And that's the worst thing these evil forces do is they corrupt the children. Right. They right. destroy their souls, basically, with their lying. I'm just going to read a little something before I have to let you go, because I know you got a lot to do. 
But this was so beautiful to me. I'm probably never going to get over it, so let's hope I can get through it. That night in the block where he, his father, and his grandfather slept, Sebastian refused to take part in any prayers. It was a ritual they had established at the urging of Lazare not to forget their past, their faith, their God. Lying in their filthy bunks, they mumbled the words softly in the darkness while a fellow prisoner coughed purposely to prevent the guards from hearing them. When they finished, Lazare, now a skeletal version of his old, thick self, would ask everyone to recite one thing they were grateful for that day. I had an extra spoonful of soup, one man said. My rotted tooth finally fell out, said another one. I wasn't beaten. My foot stopped bleeding. I slept through the night. The guard that was torturing me got switched to another block. I saw a bird. I mean, and it goes on from them, it's the Kaddish, but I just, like I said, an instant American classic with this view of the world that we haven't heard, and I think we can teach children about that war through this in a way that will be understandable to them. Well, that would be nice. I, I, I hope, I think in today's, and thank you for reading that. I love to hear somebody oh my read my book. That's beautiful. I, lo I love um, reading Mel. I wish you had read thank the you. book on tape instead of me. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, I, I, I think the contemporary part of it, because it isn't, it takes place during the war, but it's not, the point yeah. of it isn't supposed to be about that war. The contemporary part of it is, is about truth and is about mm -hmm. what happens when we start disregarding the value of truth. And that, to me, is an extremely contemporary issue because we're in a day and age where somebody could turn on what we're watching, what we're doing right now, and could legitimately wonder, is that really Mitch Album? Or maybe this is some kind of fake, or maybe Adriana's pulling something, or maybe that's not really Adriana, or maybe that's, she's not really. We are literally in a world where we have to doubt everything now that we see. We're not even sure that videos are real. We're not sure that sound right. is real. We're not sure That's that right. stories that we hear are real. We watch the news and we literally dismiss it as phony, you know? And then we watch another channel and we dismiss that as phony. So when you're in a world where lying has become such an industry and such a, a, an everyday occurrence- Well, lying has become the new truth. Yeah, <laughs> what, well, right? And, and right. And it was actually Goebbels of all people who said if you tell people a lie enough times, it becomes the truth. And, you know, I, I did some versions, some derivatives of that because I don't want to <laughs> quote Goebbels. But, uh, but, you know, there's a point at which the grandfather, Lazar, the character that you mentioned, says to his son, you know, his, his grandchildren, if you, if you say something a thousand times, if you say a lie a thousand times, yeah. people will believe that it's the truth. And, yeah. and that's, the shame of what we're living in now, what we have to break down. And we have to get back to a point where we value truth and we don't allow ourselves to lie because to lie is, it's not just a sin, it's a, it, it, it's a hammer to the, to the shell of the human world that we live in. And if everybody keeps taking a hammer and keeps banging on that shell, eventually you crack that shell and then the underpinning of everything all your protections are gone because gone. whoever can lie the best, 
whoever can lie the loudest is going to be able to influence the most number of people. And we live in a world like that now, mm-hmm. politically mm-hmm. and technologically and all the rest of it. We've seen the, the, seen the consequences of lying. So to me, I felt that this was a very, very contemporary theme of a book uh, because the Nazis were able to pull off what they did not because, and I write this in, in the book, you know, like I, I asked the question, truth says, how are you humans able to commit these atrocities to one another when you know deep down that it's wrong to torture people, that it's wrong to kill people, that it's wrong to, you know, imprison people. Mm-hmm. So how That's can right. you do it? You do it because you tell yourself a story. And in that story, you create the justification for why you're doing what you're doing. And that's exactly what Hitler did. He created a story. Look at us. We're in shambles after World War II. The proud, beautiful Germany is in shambles after World War I, rather. And we're in shambles. Why? Why are we suffering like this? Why aren't we improving? Why aren't we getting better? It's the Jews. They're, they're, they're hiding the money. They're keeping the money. They're keeping us down. They're the reason we want. And everybody is looking for a scapegoat because they're going through hard times. It's like, yeah, okay. It's the Jews, yeah. He also Jews. promised. He also Jews. promised everybody a car. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, promised, he, he had all these fake, right? Or, or you're, I'm going to make. I'm rich now. You can be rich too. We've heard these right. themes. They, they, they just they echo throughout history, and and um, but but what what the little liar does is, boy, does it does it turn? And do you understand AI, all that stuff? Notwithstanding, Mitch, the conscience. Nico's conscience is the most powerful. His soul is the most powerful, irrefutable truth teller of all. Right. And I want, I want people who are watching this, who, who, who have read my books before, who are maybe listening to this saying, well, but I, I like his books because they usually provide some hope, you know, and I'm not, where I'm not hearing the hope, I'm hearing all this stuff. There is still no, there's hope. There's hope. hope. There's hope. At the end oh, of no, the no, no. story, it's actually, actually, because it's such a, it goes into such dark places in the middle of it, I actually think that the ending of it is more redemptive than the endings of many of my uh, books that people have celebrated because of that, because we've gone so far here. So to get back to to here is an even bigger jump. And I hope people get to the end of it. (laughs) They will. It's it's so uh, evocative. It's such a page turner and so emotional. And you just love these characters. I mean, that's the that's the craft really of writing a great story is are we invested in them? And I was totally invested. Just beautiful. A little liar. Mitch album. You're the greatest. And I'm not going to compliment you anymore because you hate compliments, Thank but you. you know, you are beloved. Well, okay? I love talking to you, Adriana. And I admire your work. And last time we spoke, we were talking about one of your books. So now the next time we talk, we have to be talking about one of your books too, because it's, it's only fair. Okay. You got it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just love talking to Mitch Album. I hope you all enjoyed today's conversation. If you did, leave a rating, a review. It means the world to read your fabulous comments and thoughts after each episode. We are a community of readers and listeners, and we want your voices heard. Please join us next week for our conversation with the great Rebecca Yaros, the author of the blockbuster bestseller, The Fourth Wing, and now the much-anticipated The Iron Flame. You've seen Rebecca's books everywhere, and next Tuesday, you'll get to know Rebecca as a reader, a wife, a mother, and a friend. 
For more updates and giveaways, please follow us on Instagram at the You Are What You Read podcast. I wish you all a glorious Thanksgiving this week with your family and your friends. Thank you for listening. And always, my friends, thank you for reading. <laughs>